Hi there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I'm a very tired and oftentimes overwhelmed autism warrior mom who has navigated the ups and downs of this puzzling disorder for 16 years and counting. My hope when creating this podcast was that it would serve as a vessel for connecting families with special needs children so we may share experiences and resources. But even more importantly, I want to create a community of support for one another through the tough times, which we know there can be many, and to celebrate the achievement of milestones, big and small, of our amazing kids. So thanks again for joining me on this journey and for tuning in for this episode of Living the Sky Life. My guest today is Ron Sanderson. Ron has quite an array of backgrounds. He studied in the um, theology field at Destiny School of Ministry. He also works full-time in the medical field. He is a father and a spouse and also is on the spectrum himself. He has written a couple of books. Um, His first book published was A Parent's Guide to Autism, Practical Advice, Biblical Wisdom. He also authored a book entitled Thought, Choice, Action, Decision-Making That Releases the Holy Spirit's Power. Ron and I have a great discussion about COVID-19 and him working on the front lines um, in the medical field and everything that he has had to encounter during this whole uh, COVID crisis. And he also talks a little bit about some of his speaking engagements that he's done and that were canceled due to COVID. So enjoy my conversation with Ron Sanderson. Today's episode of the podcast is provides an excellent opportunity to speak with a gentleman not only um, on the autism spectrum, but also works in the healthcare industry and is a father and a husband. So I have with me today, Ron Sanderson. So Ron, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me on your podcast. Absolutely. Um, I was so excited to, to find you and connect with you on LinkedIn. There are so many um, aspects of your life that are quite intriguing and I'm sure um, will be interesting to all the listeners. Um, I know you're a best-selling author, a public speaker, you work in the healthcare industry, and as I mentioned, you have a family um, and a child. So I'd like to start kind of back at the beginning um, and a little bit about your childhood and your diagnosis um, of autism and when did all of that take place? So my development began normal. I said my first word, mommy, at nine months. And then when I reached 18 months, I went from being able to say mommy to mom, mom. And I went from being able to have eye contact at nine months to zero eye contact. And my mom had two typical children, and she knew there was something totally different between me and them. She immediately got me to a pediatrician. Pediatrician said men are like fine wine. You got to give them time. (laughs) My mom knew that time was the essence and um, immediately got me in intense speech therapy, and I was in intense speech therapy from age two to age 16. My speech was so delayed that at age seven, my brother Chuck would introduce me to people saying, you need to meet my brother Ron, I think he's from Norway. Ah. When I talked, no one understood what I was saying. And when I was seven years old, my development was still delayed. I had very little ability to interact with other children no eye contact, very little ability to um, say words that people could understand. And the school experts wanted to diagnose me at age seven as emotionally impaired. And my mom said, it's not emotional. 
it's neurological. And if you can't tell me what's going on in my son's head, I'll get him tested and come back to you in the fall. She took me to Henry Ford Hospital, and Henry Ford Hospital, a top neuropsychologist, diagnosed me as autism in 1982. And when I was diagnosed in 1982, it was one in every 10,000 children were diagnosed with autism. Now it's one in every 59 children, one in every 37 males. Mm-hmm. And the experts told my parents I'd never read beyond a seventh grade level, never attend college, never have meaningful relationships. And my mom, being a great mom was determined to prove the experts wrong and quit her job as an art teacher and became a full-time Ron teacher and working with art, working with visual learning. I was able to graduate college with a master divinity, perfect four point grade point average. I was able to get full ride for track and cross country my freshman year of college. I was able to go on, publish two nationally published books, parents guide autism, practical advice, biblical wisdom, and Thought Choice Action, a book on theology. And my third book will come out in April 2021, Views from the Spectrum. And again, it will be in Barnes and Nobles and in all the major stores. That is so awesome. Oh my gosh, you've accomplished a ton. Oh, thanks so much. That is fantastic. And I know you're a public speaker as well, right? Um, yeah, I speak at 70 events a year. On um, March 12th, I had 10 events canceled in less than three hours and all my events currently are canceled until October. October I'm supposed to speak in New Jersey and I'm supposed to speak at Western Michigan, the MAC conference. And until then almost everything's canceled or it's all online right now, all the speaking engagements. Thanks to COVID, right? <laughs> yep, thanks to COVID. Yeah. So um, you work in the healthcare industry. What is um, your role? in healthcare? First of all, I'm working in the Metro Detroit area. Right now in Metro Detroit, we've already had 509 deaths since March 12th from COVID. And we're averaging now 150 to 200 deaths a day in the area I'm working. And I work in a hospital as a psychiatric care specialist. And my job is to lead groups also to um, help these patients with any needs they have. And every day when I come to work now, I got to get screened. They take my temperature. They ask me if I have any new symptoms or any symptoms that are coming on. And if, after I get the screening done, they give me a sticker. Already I have um, 14 stickers on my back <laughs> all the days since um, they started the screening about 16 days ago. And um, right now, Every day I'm in contact with someone who either has COVID-19 or has um, been in contact with someone. Every day I'm dealing with EMS drivers and they say that they've been driving countless patients out to the ER who can hardly breathe. The other day, one um, EMS driver told me a young man from Sterling Heights, only 22 years old, no pre-medical conditions could hardly breathe. They had him on oxygen as they were driving him to McLaren Hospital. So we're in a very hot spot right now. Even as I'm doing this podcast, I can hear overhead helicopters. And before this COVID-19, you'd hear helicopters maybe once every month. But now you're hearing it every day. Um, you're seeing a lot of um, people in desperate need of help. And in my hospital, we're helping people deal with the mental side of 
social isolating, who have mental health issues, helping them to be able to get better and be in a safe zone while this is going on. A lot of homeless shelters have been closed down and aren't accepting people, so they need a place to go. And our place is a haven for people to get better and become um, mentally stable while this is going on. There's a lot of um, depression right now, a lot of hopelessness right now, and I'm working directly with patients, helping them deal with those issues and helping them to um, be able to feel safe and feel secure and um, get back to their baseline. Well, so thank it's a very unique situation. Yeah. And also, I'm never more than six feet from any patient or staff in the hospital I work at being a hospital. So it's a very um, trying time and also scary time for healthcare workers. Absolutely. And, what's going and on. I know that everyone would agree with me of extending our sincere thanks to you for being on the front lines and, and having to deal with that on a daily basis. And, and as I mentioned, you have a family and a wife and a daughter at home, and you're constantly, I'm sure, concerned about bringing this home to them. And so how do you, um, you know, actively, you know, prohibit that from following you home to the best of your ability? I know it's hard to predict, but yeah, that's a great question. The first way is um, my mom, she's seven years old. My dad's 85. So right now we're social isolating from my parents, but I'll still go over to my parents' house and talk to them from the door. Mm -hmm. So I'm six feet away and then we'll talk from, they'll be at the door. And then when I have to pick up stuff from my parents' house, I have all my books delivered there, all my um, mail, it's important mail. I have delivered to their house, so then I have to pick it up from there or any things we order because we have an apartment. And uh, my mom, when this isn't going on, the COVID-19, she comes to about 40% of my speaking engagements. So she's very active in the autism community, and she also speaks at events. We spoke to um, over 800 people at a conference. I was a keynote speaker, and my mom also was one of the keynote speakers a while back. So she's actively involved in the autism community and comes to all my a lot of my events 40 percent of them so i'm having to isolate them but we think that um we maybe my family maybe already had the covid 19 at least my daughter because in um january she had a fever 104 for three days nothing made it go away she had this cough after that that I, like a, a freight train for about a month. And when we got her tested, it came back that it wasn't the flu. It wasn't um, strep throat. It was some unknown virus. And during that same time, I had a bad cough for more than a couple weeks. And um, I didn't have any flu symptoms, but I had some of the other symptoms. And then it came back that it was no known um, virus. And during that time from December, to March 7th, I was speaking live to over 3,000 people. I signed over 200 books. So we're thinking that I may be, and they're saying now, USA Today had an article two days ago that some people may already had the coronavirus and didn't know about it, just a milder form. So I'm hoping that I'm not gonna get it if I didn't have it, but if I had it, I'm hoping that um, I can't get it again. 
Yeah, so especially, gosh. The test here in Michigan, that's a problem. Yeah, well, that's intense, especially for your daughter being four. And, I mean, with a fever that high, I bet you guys are panicking since we didn't know anything yeah, about we were COVID. we panicking, and um, we, didn't, we, we just gave her to children's Tylenol. We gave her the stuff that the doctors recommended. We had her um, tested for the flu because no one knew about the other stuff going on. And it was very trying time. We, we were prayerful. We, um, and she got better. Um, and now she's perfectly fine. And it's funny is I have a lot of allergy issues. And then after that, um, whatever I had during um, January, February, I've been um, a lot better healthy lately. And I've been taking multivitamins. I've been taking um, the vitamin C, a lot of that, and trying to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you had um, mentioned to me that it, it really spoke to you about, you know, just COVID-19 and maybe children that are on the spectrum being home and even children that aren't and families that are having to homeschool and do all of these things in isolation, um, that you kind of have some suggestions and some tips for families um, of things for their for their children and the family unit to do while we're stuck in isolation. Yeah, and one of the things, too, is um, I speak at about 20 ABA centers a year. I have a lot of contact with all the well-known owners, the ABA centers, and also the therapists. I have over 30,000 um, emails and about 10,000 emails for ABA center employees who I know um, personally and then worked with. And right now with ABA in Michigan, and I think a lot of the country, um, Michigan's the third hottest spot, New York's number one, New Jersey number two, and then Michigan's now having the most deaths and the most occurrences of um, the corona. But um, with ABA, they're only now um, sending out people, techs and um, therapists with the most severe cases with um, self-injury behavior mm -hmm. or um, where the children need the most help. And they're doing some ABA from um, computer and online but a lot of it, these therapists right now are out of work. They're um, waiting for this to end so they can go back to working. So it's a trying time for the autism community and employees in the autism community with the social isolation and not being able to be there. And I'm going to share some ways when the kids are at home. Now they're at home. They're not getting the therapy, and you don't want them to regress. And that's key. And with kids with autism, regress, it's harder to bring them back to their baseline where they were before. Mm -hmm. That's important. These different suggestions can help limit the um, about a regression during this time. Number one, create nostalgia. Nostalgia are those moments when you think back to earlier days or you see something that brings you out of joy. And kids with autism, their nostalgic moments are always related to their special interests. And one of the ways you can do this, you can have a movie thon for your, um, a movie marathon for your child and play movies they like. Maybe it's Star Wars, maybe it's Rocky movies or Beverly Hill Cops or movies that, from the 90s that are action, something they like. This will keep their mind moving, but at the time, keep them calm because you're bringing back a routine, something they like. Could also be with, um, um, children with Asperger's having a 
video game tournament where they're online with their friends or playing video games where they can have online mm-hmm. and having a tournament. And um, two, random acts of kindness are great to support people you know who are in the medical field. And also, if your kid's getting ABA therapy, right now would be a great time for you to write a letter to the therapist, the behavioral tech who's working with the child, thanking them for all the hard work they're doing. Maybe get them even something special, um, make them a, a um, gift package mm-hmm. with some some things that you know that they like or they're going to be able to use, put some hand sanitizer in there or wipes or something that is nice and then maybe some goodies. And um, one of the nurses I work with um, gave me a random act of kindness, a New York seltzer um, drink. And New York seltzer was very popular in the 80s and I hadn't had one in 26 years and we were talking <laughs> about two weeks ago and um, how much I like New York seltzer. And I said they had Coca-Cola bought out New York seltzer and then they quit making it. Mm-hmm. But he found online where you could get a 12 pack of New York seltzer for 40 bucks. And he gave me one of those New York seltzers and those random act of kindness remind us that this is going to end and that we as humanity are bigger than the Corona and we'll get better. Mm-hmm. Just figuring out random acts of kindness like that nurse did for me helps so much. Also helping your kid and your family have someone they can talk to. Maybe it's a grandparent they haven't talked to in a while or a friend that they you haven't talked to in years. Now everything's slowed up. You got time to be able to talk to people you haven't to been able to talk to in the past. And also sharing funny stories. We're not working in the healthcare industry. We're under a lot of stress. We're under a lot of um, pressure because we don't know, even with the screening, someone can have COVID-19 and you don't know that they have it for two weeks. So even though we're taking their temp, they may not have a temp, they may not have a cough, they may not have um, asymptomatic symptoms, they may actually have it. So one of the ways me and my coworkers deal with it is we talk to each other. We make jokes about different things and one of the ones we do is we have a lake that's called lake galloway at the hospital i work it and we'll walk up and look at the lake from the window you can see it from the window of the hospital on the the halls and we'll tell jokes like um i wonder if those um car asian carp as big as a school bus are out today (laughs) and finding someone to laugh with eases the moment yes it does Proverbs 17 22 says a joyful heart is good medicine but a crushed spirit dries up the bone and sometimes the best medicine you can give the people with depression the best medicine you can give to um worry and doubt is humor and um sometimes we would use dark humor too and we'll read funny posts um one of the um nurses posted for all printed out for all of us some um, social distancing pickup lines. And my favorite was this. Since all the public libraries are closed, I'm checking you out instead. Oh my gosh. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Find humor. One of our favorites um, lines is if you see my pick on Facebook right now, I have a huge mascot that I have to wear. 
And our joke is that when this is over, can we wear these masks as thongs? Oh, Lord. Thongs and <laughs> the masks. So we're finding humor. We're uh, being able to laugh. Uh, but we're at the same time keeping it safe. And right. That's one of the things that families really need to do with all autism kids is play it safe. If your kid puts everything in their mouth, right now is not a time to take them to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. It's not the time to take them outside where they're going to be picking up stuff. We know that Corona lives on an object for 24, 48 hours. But a thing a lot of parents don't realize is that Corona can live on the fur of animals up to 17 days. So even though they're saying we may peak in the um, end of April, we may peak mid-May sometime around then, we're still going to have things that have the coronavirus on them. And with kids with autism, they love to put things in their mouth. We got to be extra careful. We got to be extra sensitive to those things. We got to keep up with our personal hygiene, stay physically fit. Normally, if you look at my pick, I have a goatee on. One of my um, supervisors, nurse Jim, said to me, you need to get rid of that goatee because germs can get in goatees, those droplets of the corona, and make it much more susceptible to getting corona. So I gotten rid of my goatee. My daughter, who's four, is getting used to a dad who looks totally different <laughs> no facial hair. Well, and you also mentioned in here social isolation, um, isolation, sorry, and um, enjoying your time in there. Um, what are some of the things that you and Michaela, like your daughter, like to do and your wife um, while you guys are isolated? One of them we do is um, at night, we'll turn off all the lights and run around the apartment and play hide and seek. <laughs> we love jumping on the bed, so we go out jumping on the bed. One of the things I've been personally doing in social isolation is normally I'm speaking to a large audience. Actually, today, the reason I have today off, I was supposed to be speaking to about 500 people for the Detroit Wayne Mental Health um, Autism Conference in um, Doubletree Hotel in Detroit. And where I was supposed to be speaking, we've already had 500 deaths from corona right in that area. Mm. And I was supposed to be out there speaking. So what I'm doing instead is I'm making faith-based videos and autism videos. And then my presentations that I'm missing out on, I'm putting them online for families to watch. That's cool. And a lot of the, the events um, for autism awareness, it will just be, um, they're not going to reschedule them. Some they're rescheduling. So right. I'm dealing with that. It, it's really sad because, um, a lot of the events I was going to speak at, I was going to be speaking with um, well-known people, Rachel Barcelona, Miss Florida. We were supposed to um, be speaking together in March at a conference, um, and it got canceled. And there's a lot of people who I'm friends with, and I've been friends with for years online, who I want to meet in person. And then we're speaking at events together, conferences, and then I don't get to meet those people They offer a uniquely um, human, uh, different perspective of the autism. Um, a week from now, I was supposed to be presenting at a conference that he was presenting it and be one of the keynote breakout presenters. And now um, that's canceled. Mm -hmm. so really, I, I, I tell people I won't even look at my calendar right now <laughs> because it just makes me so 
depressed. Yeah. I see 10 events in April canceled. I see my May um, events canceled. I was supposed to speak in Toronto in May. I was supposed to speak at the um, Theology of Disability Conference in May in Holland. And in Holland in May, you have all those beautiful tools, mm -hmm. all the, the, the beauty out there. And then I'm stuck in my house making funny videos. <laughs> kind of tells you where we're at right now and um, what's going on. And it seems like um, right now, it's hard to tell when this is all going to end. And yeah. I, I hear different answers at DOM, Director of Nursing, at where I work. I asked her when she gave me a new mask. We They're just starting to get the mask out there. Um, I We got masks from a um, retired school teacher who made them for all the employees. But the hospital finally got some of the ones donated from the, um, the Trump um, fund, I guess you'd call it, federal government. And, um, she told me she doesn't see this ending until August if they're going to have this social isolation until then. And I've heard that from many people, and but nobody knows. And that's what's making this so hard. And, yeah. Um, I almost feel like it, I almost feel like it's, it's God's way of slowing the world down, just slowing all of us down and making us, you know, kind of look inward and appreciate our families. I know it's challenging. I mean, we've all seen, the stories and we've talked to friends who have seniors this year that aren't going to get to, you know, finish their senior year of college or high school and graduate on time and all of those things. And it's devastating. It, it's truly devastating for families. Um, yeah. You know, say, uh, oh, yeah. Can I share an interesting story about the whole Corona? Sure. So in college, I worked for one of the most famous television evangelists all time, Dr. Jack Van Impen. He has a very unique gift, over 15,000 Bible verses memorized, word perfect. I have over 15,000 Bible memorized, word perfect too. And he was my mentor, and I got to work directly with him my senior year of college in 1999. In 2005, Dr. Jack Van Impe met with me about maybe someday carrying on his ministry, and um, his budget was $50,000 a day, he said, you have to earn or get in donations to keep the show going, which is equivalent to 15 million a year. And then um, he had septic shock on August 15 of that year. And he um, called me and said that he wasn't able to raise someone up at that time. But he, the final time I ever met with him, talked about his, his whole message on the second coming of Christ and eschatology. And um, he mentioned that right before Christ comes, you're going to have the birth pains and you're going to have viruses go all throughout the world and kill many people and that's why you got to be ready and you go to revelation chapter 6 revelation chapter 9 the trumpets the seals and the um, bowls in revelation chapter 16 and he said that if you take all those and the flags in there in the end time there's going to be one out of two people are going to um not make it you use uh, matthew 24 um Verses um, 40 through 41, two men are in a field. One is taken, one is left behind. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, one left. And in the context it's in, it's talking about judgment. But here's where this story gets real interesting. On January 17th, the man who's been predicting this plague all along up and dies. And 
all throughout the Bible, wherever there's a prophet who's predicting um, mass destruction and mass events, usually they're taken out right before the, the event. And a good example is with Noah. In Genesis 24, 37, it says, as it was in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of some man. And in the days before Noah, there was a man named Methuselah. And in the Bible, Methuselah lived 969 years. But what's interesting is when Methuselah died, he died the year before the flood came. And the whole time when Noah was predicting the flood for hundreds of years before, Methuselah was predicting severe judgment to come upon the world as a flood. And the year the flood came, he was taken out before the judgment came because he was ready for the judgment. And I see kind of with two with Dr. Jack Van Empey, he was ready for the coming judgment and was pronouncing it on TV up to a week before his death. He was on TV mm -hmm. proclaiming the signs of the second coming. And one of the ones he was talking about on the show was a plague coming out. And he predicted this for over 60 years. He died at 88 years old hmm. of natural causes. But it was interesting that right before the judgment came, he was taken out. That is interesting. That's a good and time. He had a major impact on my life and uh, ministry, um, being able to work for him and be able to mentor under him. And he mm -hmm. taught me how to memorize the Bible by subject rather than just memorizing verses randomly. Yeah. Um, sorry to hear of his passing. Oh, thanks. Um, so, uh, just kind of switching gears a little bit about your book, um, A Parent's Guide to Autism, Practical Advice. Is that um, book geared more towards, um, you know, parents raising a child on the spectrum, or is it also beneficial for um, people on the actual spectrum themselves and maybe their parents like you? That's a great question. And here's my answer. I wrote the book beginning from diagnosis all the way to adulthood. So when you're diagnosed, what therapies are needed? Begins there. That's chapter one. Next, what are the major issues and insider's perspective of how to overcome those? So I interviewed over 50 young adults on the autism spectrum while writing the book to get their insight on how to deal with sensory issues, how to deal with um, change in routine, how to deal with learning social skills, and then from then, how to develop self-esteem. Self-efficiency is one of the keys to people with autism being successful. That's a belief that when I set apart or set about to accomplish a goal, I'm able to accomplish that goal. And then it goes into relationships. I share how I met my wife and how I was able to um, get married and have a family. And then I move on to the future of autism, which is how can young adults be able to develop those skills, develop those abilities to be able to be successful in life. So the book is a guide, not only for parents, but also for people on the spectrum, because they can learn those skills and they can learn how to develop those abilities so they can be successful in life. I, have, I share with, in the book too about my own employment and how I learned to be successful. And what makes people with autism unique is we have great mountains of abilities, but we have great valleys of disabilities. Mm -hmm. A kid may be the best artist. Their paintings like theft can sell for $10,000, but then they can't tie their shoe. They can't walk across the 
the road without it being a um, final destination 10 because they don't see the traffic. Mm -hmm. But yet they have this ability innate in them and that developing that um, ability and developing those talents, you can make the mountain higher and make them be, um, have more independence. And that's the key. With other disabilities, you try to help them learn how to um, do those activities. With autism, you try and teach them to compensate for those areas and the areas are strong because those weak areas, they may never be good at those areas. That's such an interesting- Compensate for them. I love that perspective um, of definitely, you know, relishing in the things that they, you know, can do so well and definitely, you know, um, encouraging that development of, like you said, an artist and, and making their, their paintings even better and giving them the, the tools they need to make that talent even stronger. And, um, you know, and encouraging them along the way too, to be independent on life skills and some of those things. So that's, that's a, that's an interesting analogy. I like that. Um, yeah, right. cause there's some people who are nonverbal. Yep. They're never going to be verbal. They're, um, the silent runners, there's a book written about, and they're the runners who run in the marathons. And the one was running when the, both of them were running when the, the Boston, um, bomb happened. Uh -huh. The one was faster than the other. They're twins. One was faster, so he was out of the way of the area when the bomb went up. The other was close enough that he could hear it and see the aftermath. He wasn't injured. But um, there will always be nonverbal. They'll always be needing to live in a group home. But the mom and dad, Robin's mom, um, found ways to make them have meaning in life, and they've been on CNN, their story, they've been on 60 Minutes, they've been all these national telecasts because the parents use their strength, their ability to run to be able to find something where they're finding meaning in life. I'm going to have to check that book out. I don't know that I've, I've heard that story or, or seen that. Yeah, yeah. my husband book. was actually running the Boston Marathon during the bombing as well. So um, that's a very um sad top topic around here <laughs> around that time he's fast too so he was um well over an hour finished by the when the bomb hit but um um so um but i digress <laughs> what is it that you um you know wish that people understood about adults who are living with autism because there is no cure it's not like you know you become an adult um, and autism goes away. I think that's one of the messages that I'm trying to send and encourage people to understand about people living on the spectrum. If there's no cure, it doesn't just go away when you turn 22 and all of a sudden you're thrust into adult life and you're expected to just be independent and do things on your own. There are always aspects of autism in your life. So how, you know, how did you, how, how do you message that to people in your talks or in your books um, and just your daily life? Here's how I address it. Is it realize with autism, our milestones are going to take longer. Not only when we're a kid, our milestones are going to take longer, but even as adults. Here's an example. I didn't graduate from high school until I was 20 years old. People wanted me to wait one more year so I could be a designated buyer for everyone. Yes. I didn't um, have a long-term relationship until I was 35 years old. I didn't move out of my parents' house until I was 37 years old. I didn't um, 
become a dad until I was 40 years old. I didn't become a nationally published author until I was 41, 42. I had my second book. I'm 45 next year. Um, have my third book. But these milestones take longer, but it doesn't mean they're not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And the, the development with people with autism is much more different than most people. Most people, they young kids, they begin learning A, B, C, D, E, F, G, your alphabet. They learn how to tie their shoes. But a person with autism, it's herky-jerky motion, the development. So one day they may not be able to say anything. Next day they may be able to say complete sentences. That's not the normal, tragic um, childhood development that we're taught. I call it the jack-in-the-box effect. You try new <laughs> therapy, tried everything, nothing seems to be working, and pop, all of a sudden there's an ability. And that's how my ability has developed. My eye contact was absolutely zero until 2006. I'd speak and people would hear me speak and they'd say they get seasick because I moved around so much. But in 2006, I found myself unemployed. I previously worked four years as a youth pastor, four years as an intern in a big church. And then I found myself unemployed and I started making a list in my journal of things I had to work on. One was eye contact. One was thinking before I speak. And I really honed in on those social aspects. And then by doing that, they develop very quickly. And most people, it's innate eye contact. It's innate when you say mother, brother, you use your tongue to go in and out of the bridge to say TH. Or when you say lion or lying, you make your tongue go up and down. But that's not innate with me, with um, the, the programming that I have for my neural diversity. And one person compared people with autism as a word processor to a Mac computer. <laughs> they don't operate and function the same way. And that's kind of how some things are innate for one person. They're not innate for me. And to realize that you have a young adult with autism is some of the things that you, my, my dad would always say to me, he'd say, you don't pronounce TH and L words right even though you're in speech therapy because you just get lazy and then you don't say them. It's not a matter of being lazy because for most people, it's innate. Mm-hmm. When you talk, it just does it. And some people with autism, it's not innate. They have to think before they, they say things because, and there's words they can't pronounce because that phonetic ability isn't there. But what happens with our neurons, we know, wiring is it it will develop different ways to compensate for it. So I have... 15,000 scriptures were perfect. I've never met anyone other than Dr. Jack and if you could do that. And um, my brain has found different ways to do things, but then I'm compensating for them. So I still, when I get tired or I get um, frustrated, today I was frustrated because we had hail outside and I want to do my podcast outside <laughs> and I wanted to just use Zoom from the phone and then the phone was acting up. And, um, and when I get frustrated, then sometimes I'll say mother or brother. I won't say it right because my brain, is, um, <laughs> that wiring's not there. So that's what I recommend is it's not going to be a smooth ride. It's going to be a rocky ride, the autism journey. 
Well, I think everything is a process and I, I know that every single person in this world has a gift and has, um, you know, something special about them. So it's just sometimes it takes, as you said, it's a process and sometimes it takes us a little bit longer to find out exactly what that gift is and what process works best for our kids um, on the spectrum. So, um, you know, we just have to be patient <laughs> and continue yeah. to continue to push, you know, to get the best output. So well, you just have such an incredible story and incredible background. Um, I, I would love when the coronavirus pandemic lifts um, to attend one of your talks to hear you speak. Um, but I will definitely link your um, books and your contact information that you sent me so people can, um, you know, get in touch with you and watch some of your YouTube videos and um, reach out to you if they have any other questions and want some more intel. Um, but I really appreciate you being a guest today on the podcast. It means a lot to me. Oh, thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.